open our Bibles now, if you would please, to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. My message this evening is intended to be a companion sermon to the one that I preached this morning. I'm going to follow somewhat the same theme as we were talking about in the book of Haggai. And we were talking about Christ who is the desire of nations. Haggai chapter 2, as I said this morning, gives us a prophecy concerning the uh, coming of Christ. It actually looks beyond the first advent of Christ, even though Haggai was written about 500 years before Jesus came the first time. The prophecy in chapter 2 of Haggai looks beyond that first coming to the second coming of Christ, when Jesus actually comes to this world to come as a ruling, reigning king, and Jesus will establish a literal kingdom upon the earth. Haggai called Jesus the desire of all nations, even though at the present time it seems that there are very few people who desire Jesus at all. Even in our country, that sometimes we like to call it a Christian country, it really doesn't appear that many people do have a desire for Christ, and we really don't obey the laws of God. We rarely and barely practice Christianity at all, sometimes it seems. But for those of us who recognize Christ, for those of us who've been changed by him, Christ truly is our desire. And I hope that everybody here tonight, again, as I said this morning, that you are looking for the second coming of Christ. Now, what I want to talk about this evening, though, is how that Jesus is unequaled. I want to give you seven reasons this evening from the scriptures, from, this, uh, from the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, and these first three verses, why Jesus is unparalleled, unequaled, why he stands above anyone who has ever lived upon this earth. Now, I'd like you to stand with me, if you would, please, as we read Hebrews chapter 1. We're looking at the first three verses. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning with verse number 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this evening, again, we thank you for everyone who's come to hear the word of God tonight. And Lord, help us as we look into the scriptures to really understand in, a, in just a, a great way how that Jesus stands above any other person, how he is unequaled, unparalleled in this universe. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus who came into the world to die for our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Most of you have probably heard of H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells was an author. Uh, he wrote books such as The War of the Worlds and The Invisible Man. I think those probably, I believe those have been made into movies. H.G. Wells was also an historian. Now, he was a very controversial historian. And he actually came up with a list of the ten greatest men who have ever lived. I mean, he decided or he thought about this and... He wrote down a list of the ten most significant, most important men of all time. And on the top of that list, he put Jesus Christ. Now, most of us would probably think, well, of course. If you're going to have a list of the ten most important people that have ever lived, certainly you would put Jesus Christ at the very top of that list. But when you think about it, putting Jesus on a list like that really does not exalt Jesus at all. 
Because at best, a list of the ten most important men in history is just a comparison among men. But Jesus cannot be compared to any man. He stands above any person that we've ever heard. I mean, Jesus is not on the same plane. He's not on the same level. Jesus is not even in the same universe as man. Now, Jesus is not a creature of our universe. He, he's outside of all of creation. And, uh, of course, the Bible says that it was by Jesus Christ that God made the world. And so even though Jesus did become a human, and even though Jesus did come to this earth, it was still, or it's still, Jesus stands above, far above any other person by comparison. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus right now sits enthroned in the majesty on high. So there's nobody like Jesus because Jesus is divine. And Jesus isn't just a founder of a religion. Now there are other religions that actually exist without their founders. Islam exist without Mohammed, and Buddhism exists without Buddha. Confucianism goes on without Confucius. All of those men and the things that they taught are still being practiced today, and their religions carry on without them. But Christianity cannot carry on without Jesus Christ. He's unique in that way. Christianity doesn't exist without him. Now, Christianity is not a list of do's and don'ts, and it's not a list of rituals that we keep. It's not a list of rules. Christianity actually is Christ. And Christianity is a a living, breathing entity. It's not a code or a creed. It's not a cause. Christianity is not even a church. Christianity is Christ, and he's unequaled. Now, today, our leaders tried to be politically correct, and they tell us that all faiths are equal. And so in the public arena, if you're, if you're going to say anything about religion at all, you have to make all faiths or all religions equal. So if you have a Christmas crash, our government says that you also have to have a Jewish menorah. And if there's somebody else who makes a protest against a religious uh, item that you might have, then you have to be sure that you include that. Now somehow we have the idea in our society today that we have to represent all faiths if anyone objects to it. Uh, objects to it. Well, the government may try to be politically correct. And since we live in a democracy, there may be a semblance of why we have to do that. But preachers in America need to be standing behind their pulpits today, and we need to declare the truth that Jesus Christ is the only faith, and there's no other way that a person can be saved except through Him. And we need to be preaching that all faiths are not equal, and all faiths are not a way to come to God, and all faiths are not going to lead a person to heaven. We have an unequaled faith, and we have an unequaled God. And that's the only way that a person will ever have eternal life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And when Jesus made that statement, you could take it one of three ways. Either Jesus was crazy, either Jesus is a liar, or in fact, Jesus is exactly everything that he claimed to be. Now, when a liberal stands in a pulpit, and he says that all great religions lead you to God... And when our evangelical leaders of Christianity today, like Joel Osteen or, or Billy Graham and some of those, when they say that, that other paths, there are other paths to God and that even a Jew could be saved some other way than believing in Jesus Christ, they're calling Jesus himself a liar. There is nobody but Christ. So God has spoken to us through his Son. He's unequaled, he's unmatched, he's unparalleled, he is unique. He's one of a kind, and as we preached this morning, he is the desire of all nations. Now, I'd like to talk to you this evening about seven ways that Jesus is unequal. 
First, we can say about him that he's unequaled in his revelation. Now, in our text in the book of Hebrews, it says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Now, there we have in the beginning of those verses God's method of speaking to us in the past. In the Old Testament times, it tells us that God spoke to the prophets. And so there were great men that God revealed certain things about himself. You remember that he appeared to Moses and there in that burning bush that God spoke to Moses and, and God said, I am, and he gave Moses his name. When Moses said, who am I going to tell the children of Israel sent me? What God am I going to say that sent me unto you? God said, you tell them that I am that I am has sent you. And so there, God revealed his name to Moses, and Moses was able to pass that information on to the children of Israel. God also gave Moses the Ten Commandments, and God said, you give these commandments to the people. When the people wanted a king, then Samuel, a prophet, was appointed to anoint a new king for Israel. In the Old Testament, we find God speaking through Elisha and through Elijah. He spoke through Jeremiah and through Daniel. He spoke through Ezekiel and through Jonah and through Micah and Hosea. And like we read this morning, he spoke through the prophet Haggai. And in each of those pronouncements, God gave some kind of revelation about himself. But in each of those revelations, there was something that was held back. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul tells us that there is a mystery that was kept secret since the world began. And what Paul was talking about was the full revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God, in the past, revealed himself through the prophets. But then God stopped giving revelation in that way. Prophets don't receive any more revelation from God. There is no more divine revelation. And the reason that there isn't is because God has given us the ultimate revelation. What God did was to give us an unequaled revelation of himself. And the scripture tells us that that revelation is Jesus. And so he says, in these last days, God has spoken to us through his Son. Now listen to what John wrote about it. He said, And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Now there is what makes Jesus unparalleled, unequal in his revelation because the Bible teaches that he is the revelation of God himself. He's the revelation of the Father. Now Moses could not reveal anything like that. It wasn't given to Moses to reveal it. Jeremiah couldn't do it and Daniel nor Elijah could do any of that. There's no prophet who could ever reveal God in that way. And John the Baptist, who was the last Old Testament prophet, said, not me. I'm not able to do it. He said, I'm not him. And he said, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. And of course, we remember what Jesus said about John the Baptist. He said, there's never been a greater man that's been born among women than John the Baptist. And the greatest man who was ever born among women said, I am not even worthy to bow down before him. So listen, folks, this is the truth. After Jesus, there is nothing more that God can say about himself. Jesus is the full disclosure of God. And so when you say Jesus, you've said it all. He's unequaled in his revelation. So there's nobody like him. He's not number one on somebody's list. Jesus is the list. He's unequaled in his revelation. Now secondly, Jesus is unequaled in his rights. Jesus has unequaled rights. 
God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Jesus is an heir to all things. Well, what's an heir? Well, we know what an heir is, and an heir is somebody who inherits something. You know, I've always kind of wished that somewhere that I had a rich uncle who had millions of dollars, and this rich uncle of mine would die. I don't wish that he would die, of course, but this rich, rich uncle would die, and, and he would leave me lots of money. And one of these days, someone would give me a phone call, or someone would come knocking on my door, and they would tell me that you have inherited millions of dollars. I'm still waiting. It hasn't happened yet. But can you imagine this, what the Bible says about Jesus, when it teaches that he's the heir of all things? Jesus isn't waiting on a million dollars. Jesus owns everything. I mean, how could you be an heir to everything? I can't even imagine that. I can't fathom being the heir to everything. I can imagine being an heir to thousands of acres of land. Maybe I can think about being an heir to Bill Gates and and receiving billions of dollars if he were to die. But who could possibly fathom being the heir of all things? That, That just doesn't register in our minds. But the Bible teaches us that Jesus owns the title deed to the entire universe. Everything was made for Jesus. I think that's kind of interesting. I mean, you would think that maybe something was made for somebody else. Maybe there's something that was made for me. But no, the Bible teaches that all things are made for Jesus. Now, the truth is, Scripture says everything was made for him. He owns all things. Now, Now, what Jesus has done, he's released some of the things that he has. He's released it for a time, and other people are using it. Uh, Satan even uses some of the things that belong to God. I mean, the Bible calls him the God of this world. And so Satan has a dominion in this world today, but this world belongs to Jesus. And if you read the back of this book, you'll find out that someday everything is going to be returned to Jesus. And that's what we were talking about this morning. He's going to rule and reign upon this earth. And do you know the Bible never actually calls us the owner of anything? We're stewards. We're stewards of things that belong to God. Now, everything that we have in this life is on loan from God. makes me kind of wonder sometimes how, how Christians can be so stingy with their tithes and their offerings. All of it belongs to God anyway. God owns it all, and someday it'll all be returned to Him. And all those things that God has loaned you, you better understand this, that God can call in the loan any time that He wants because He owns it all. Now, if we think back to Moses for just a minute... Do you remember, you remember what Hebrews says about Moses? It, it talks about Moses' faith, and it says that Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather, to enjoy, rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses was an heir to something. Now, as we know, reading the story about Moses in the Old Testament, he was, lived in Pharaoh's house, he was raised by Pharaoh, and so he was an heir to some of the things in Egypt. But Moses knew somebody that had something more to offer than Pharaoh. Pharaoh had a kingdom. He had a dominion in this world. But, but God, as I said, owns everything. God has a universe. And so Moses said, I will choose God because God owns it all. And do you know when Moses decided that he was going to choose God, when he stood there and talked to God in the burning bush, that he was actually choosing Jesus And that's because it was Jesus Christ who spoke to him in the burning bush. He said, I am. That's the name of God. He is Jehovah God. And that's what Jesus Christ is. He is Jehovah God. 
Now, what a choice that is, because when you decide that you're going with Jesus, you have it all. And that's because he has unequaled rights. The third thing we would notice about him is that he has an unequaled realm. God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. So he's unequal because of the things that he made. He created it all. Now, can you imagine, again, that, that God, in creating it all, and, and Jesus coming to this world as a man, that people who knew him and talked with him were actually talking to someone who created everything? Can you imagine John, the Apostle John, uh, when he wrote about this and when he recognized it? Now, John is called the Apostle whom Jesus loved, and he was one of the ones who knew Jesus the best. As Jesus walked upon this earth, John was in that inner circle of disciples, and he walked and talked with Christ. Can you imagine when John wrote in John 1 verse 3, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. I can't even understand what it would have been like to be like the Apostle John and to talk with the person who created all things. Now what John is saying here is that God has his stamp, Jesus Christ has his stamp on everything that is made. You turn over an ant... On his belly, you have to get a magnifying glass to see it, but on his belly it says, made by Jesus. You go out and you turn over a mountain over there, if you could do it, and on the underside of that mountain it would say, made by Jesus. Go out at night and look at the stars. Now, you can only see just a small part of this universe. There are millions of stars that are out there. There are, uh, they say, scientists say, a hundred million galaxies or more some containing as many as 100 million stars. The galaxies are 6 trillion miles across and separated from one another by 3 million light years. And to think that Jesus made all of that? Now, there was a king in the Old Testament by the name of Nebuchadnezzar who one time was surveying all of his kingdom and thinking about his majesty. In the book of Daniel, it says, And at the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? So King Nebuchadnezzar looked at his kingdom. He thought that he was the king of the world. He thought he owned everything. But then God God brought Nebuchadnezzar down. And Nebuchadnezzar had to realize that he was no match for God. And so he said, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and my understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? The realm of Jesus Christ is unequaled. No power upon this earth has ever reached the zenith of power that Jesus has. He has dominion over all of the universe. His realm reaches from one side of the universe and even beyond. You know what Buzz Lightyear said? He said, To infinity and beyond. And that's closer to the realm of Jesus than anybody's ever come before. Now, the next thought I'd like to show you is that he has unequaled rule. 
Paul says in the book of Colossians, For by him were all things created, we've just talked about that, that are in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now, what I'm trying to show you here is that Jesus is a supreme ruler. All of us here as Americans being... Those of you that are Americans, I, I know, I guess everybody here, most of you are citizens of America. You, you've never really lived, and, and neither have I, we've never lived under a supreme ruler. We've never lived under a government that had all authority and, and uh, told us what we had to do in every move that we had to make. We've never lived under dictatorship. We have rights and privileges. We decide what our government is, and, and so it's hard for us to imagine authoritarian rule. And then also, we're living in a spiritual kingdom. Christ is not ruling now in in this kingdom in the same sense that he will at a later time. He rules in a spiritual kingdom, of course, but there are, are those that are lost in the world today, and it appears that people that don't know Jesus, they go about their business and they do everything that they want to do. But one of these days, this entire world will be under a totalitarian rule. Do you understand totalitarianism? What does that mean? It means that the government has complete control over everything. The government tells you exactly what you can do. It tells every individual what to do. Well, when Haggai gave his prophecy in Haggai chapter 2, do you know that he was actually talking about totalitarianism? Because that is exactly the kind of kingdom that Jesus is going to establish on this earth. The scripture says that he's going to rule with a rod of iron. Now, what that means is that in this kingdom that Christ will establish, there's not going to be any shenanigans. God's law is the statutory law, and Jesus is going to enforce every law of God to the letter. Now, that's fine for those of us that are believers. I mean, that's really exactly what we want. We want Jesus to rule over us in every single thing that we do or we ever say. We're glad for Jesus to rule in that way. And that's because, as believers in him, we've been given the righteousness of Christ, and so in that kingdom, we'll be able to do everything that God says. But not unbelievers. I mean, Christ's rule absolutely will be the best for all people because it's a perfect rule. But I promise you this... For people in that millennial kingdom who don't know him, it's not going to be a picnic. They're not going to enjoy it. An unregenerate person is not going to want to live under the rule of Jesus Christ. Now, in that millennial kingdom, there's not going to be fun for sinners. They're not going to like it. And the testimony to that is that after that 1,000 rear reign of Christ is over, what happens? The devil comes and he deceives the nations once again. And the first thing that people try to do is to overthrow the rule of Jesus Christ. They don't like his rule. And you know what that proves to us? It proves that wickedness rules in the human heart. Even after that 1,000 years of perfect government, these people are going to turn against Jesus Christ. And that shows you, you can't change a person's heart by changing the government. You can't change a person's heart by reforming him. You can't make him a Christian by enforcing righteousness upon him. And that's, I think, part of the fallacy of of churches and our political process today, even the religious right. You can't force people to be Christians. It's not going to work. Only God can change a person's heart. The Holy Spirit must regenerate a person... Or, and if he doesn't, then people will forever despise Christ. They just don't love Christ automatically. But there's coming a time when Jesus will have unequaled rule. 
The world's never seen it before, and the world's not going to like it. But you know, I praise God for this, that Jesus rules right now in my heart. I'm in his kingdom right now. He rules me by faith, and I am waiting, and I hope that you are too, for Jesus to come. And we say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come and reign on this earth as well as reigning in our hearts. Jesus has an unequaled realm. Then fifthly, Jesus has unequaled radiance. Now look at the last, look at verse number three, rather, the first phrase of it. Who being the brightness of his glory. The word brightness there actually means radius, radiance. The scriptures don't tell us that Jesus is the reflection of God. Not like the, the, the moon is the reflection of the sun. Jesus is not the reflection of God. He doesn't reflect the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. You know, the disciples actually caught a glimpse of that on the Mount of Transfiguration. There, the glory that was on the inside of Jesus, if you read the story, that glory began to shine out. Now, the disciples weren't able to see the full glory of Christ because there's no way that he could stand, they could stand in his presence and live. It was just like Moses when he went up on Mount Sinai. God, God told Moses, he said, my glory is going to pass before you. You can't look at me. And so he told Moses, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'll pass by you. And Moses was only able to see the hinder parts of God. But do you remember when Moses came down from the mountain? The scripture says that his face shone, his countenance shone, and that's because he was in the presence of the glory of God. Now that same radiance of Jesus... That's the light that shone around the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. When Jesus came to him, his glory shone around him, and Paul was struck to the ground. And there Paul was changed, or Saul, I should say, was changed into the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. And then also, this same glory of Jesus Christ is going to be the light in the New Jerusalem. The Bible says there's no need of the sun there, no need of the moon or the stars, because Jesus is the light of that city. So Jesus is unequaled in his radiance. Then number six, Jesus is unequaled in his representation, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. The express image of his person. Now what that means is that Jesus is exactly what God is. He's equal with God. He's the same as God. He has the same nature as God. He has the same attributes of God. And things that are equal are the same. Jesus is God. Now, the word image is, is, a, is the same word from which we get icon. And an icon means a representation. And so when Jesus came in the flesh, he was the representation of God. Usually, when we think of representing of something or, or we're, we think about the physical appearance of things, that, that's usually what we think when, when we think about someone, something being in the image of something. We think about that physical representation. Now, I don't know how this works, but Jesus said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I don't know exactly what all of that means, but I do know this. Jesus is equal to God, and when you see Jesus, you will also see the Father. I don't know how it all works, but I believe it's true because that's what the Scripture says. And so if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. When you know what God thinks, you look at Jesus. When you want to know how God reacts or God relates to people, then you look at Jesus Christ. You ever thought about this? You ever read anything at all in the Scriptures or, or any... Well, the Scripture is the only revelation that we have of, of Christ, of course. But have you ever read anything in the Scriptures where Jesus said, Pardon me? I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. Did you ever see that in the Scriptures anywhere? You know, sometimes when I'm preaching, 
There are lots of times when I'd like to take back something that I've said. I, I stick my foot in my mouth so many times. I, I have to say I'm sorry sometimes, but not Jesus. And you know why? Because he is the exact representation of God. God never makes any kind of mistake, so God never has a need to say, I'm sorry. And think about this. If God had to say, I'm sorry, who would he say it to? I mean, who could God offend? I mean, could, could, God, could I be offended by God? Well, certainly not. There is nobody like Jesus. He's uncommon. He's unlike the other top nine or nine people that are on that list because he is the actual representation and the exact image of Almighty God. Now, let's look at one more thing. And this is where the whole picture comes right down to you and me. This is so important that Jesus have no equals because number seven, he has unequaled redemption. Now, to see this, we have to go to the last part of verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself, and you might want to underline this part, purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. When he had by himself purged our sins. You know, that, that is an awesome statement right there. As we've been discussing how Jesus is unequaled, what have we done? We followed Jesus Christ all across the cosmos. All across this cosmic universe, we follow Jesus Christ. And here we come down to verse number 3, and we see him right here on a cross. And that is the only way that Jesus could purge our sins. That's the only way that we can be forgiven of sins, and that is that Jesus should go to that cross. Now, isn't it interesting here that the Bible says that after he did that, he sat down. It says that he sat down on the right hand of the majesty of God. Did you know that the priest in the temple and the tabernacle never sat down? There wasn't any place for them to sit. And that's because they had to go about their duties daily, had to do everything they did over and over again. They had to repeat all the sacrifices that they made. And there was actually a prohibition for the priest to sit down because when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, he had these bells on the hem of his garment. And those bells had to be ringing all of the time. And that said that that high priest was busy because his work had to be ongoing. And so he would go behind that Holy of Holies on the Great Day of Atonement, and there he would step in uh, to that Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat on top of it, and there he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on that mercy seat. And he had to come back and do that year after year after year. But that changed with Jesus. It changed because Jesus is not the same high priest as those high priests. He is not after the Aaronic order. Now, here we have to go a little bit further in the book of Hebrews. So turn over to chapter 7, and we'll look at this. Hebrews, of course, is a book that shows us in so many ways that Jesus is unequal. He's not equal to the priest that came after Aaron. Look at verse 24 in Hebrews chapter 7. But this man, because he continueth ever, that's speaking of Jesus, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins, and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. 
And there we see that Jesus is unequal in his priesthood. He didn't have to offer anything for his own sins. The high priest even had to do that, but not Jesus. Jesus doesn't have to come daily and offer up any more sacrifices for sins. Jesus did that one time by his offering on the cross. Now, I pity the poor Roman Catholic who has to have a priest crucify Christ over and over again in every Mass that they perform. Christ is different. The Christ that I believe is different. Now, here, turn over to chapter 10, verse number 10, very quickly there. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 10. It says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. That's what you call redemption without equal. And you see, if it were possible for you to redeem yourself, then what you would have to do through all of eternity, you would have to be holy and righteous. You'd have to be perfect every single moment of all eternity, and you'd have to do it in your own strength. Now, first of all, you can't do it because you're a sinner. But if you could, if you could, one misstep, one miscalculation, one slight mistake, and you'd be cast out of heaven and thrown into the fires of hell forever. But this is what the redemption of Jesus Christ does for us. It does what no man can possibly do. It takes away the guilt of sin forever. And so there's never another sacrifice that has to be made. And this is why the Bible says that when Jesus was finished with his sacrifice on the cross, he sat down. And the reason he sat down was because he was through. He doesn't have to do it over and over again. And look where he sat down. It says he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now what that really means is that the majesty or the right hand of the majesty on high is the highest place of exaltation. That is the place of glory. And the reason that Jesus can sit there is because he is the only one who is perfect in every detail. Nothing can ever match the perfect work of Jesus Christ. So he's unequaled in his redemption. Now, these are reasons why it ought to be very clear to us, as we preach this morning, why that Christ is the desire of all nations. There is simply nobody like Jesus Christ. Now, we have one, one last thing for your listening sheet tonight. You might make a notation of this. He is unique, unparalleled, unequaled, because he is the Savior. And, folks, he's the only Savior. The Bible And the book of Hebrews here makes it so clear. Jesus is unequaled in his revelation, unequaled in his rights, unequaled in his realm, unequaled in his rule, unequaled in his radiance, unequaled in his redemption. There is nobody like Jesus. And praise God for this. When you put your faith and trust in him, to him, there's nobody like you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that we've received in the book of Hebrews about how Jesus is unequal to anyone who has ever lived upon this earth. We thank you, Lord, again, that he came into the world to save us from our sins. We ask you, Lord, if there's anyone here tonight who doesn't recognize or doesn't know Jesus as Savior, that tonight would be the night that they would trust him as Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.